the Young and Healthy Podcast. You're listening to the Cincinnati Children's Young and Healthy Podcast. Welcome back to the Young and Healthy Podcast. I'm Kate Sutter, your host for today. We're super excited today to bring you the first episode of an infant series that we're going to do here on Young and Healthy. And today we're going to be talking about newborn care, just all the basics for bringing a baby home and what new parents um, need to know straight from two of our expert pediatricians. Joining me in the studio today are Dr. Mary Carol Burkhart. Thank you for being here, Dr. Burkhart. Thanks for having me. And we also have Dr. Nick de Blasio making his debut on the podcast. Welcome, Dr. de Blasio. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So this is probably a super broad question to start with, um, but could we just kind of start with, though, the things that, like, are do not pass go, do not collect $200, like, your baby needs to be seen by the pediatrician pretty much right away um, if you have a newborn at home. Yeah, I can start off. Um, So I would typically say um, temperature is really important. So too hot or too cold, neither one of those things is good for a newborn. Um, Sometimes they're too cold because they're so small and can't regulate their body temperature, but actually being too cold or too hot can be a sign of infection in a baby. So I think that's a big one. And then um, the other big one I would probably say is anything like what we would call respiratory distress. So breathing, of course, is essential to a newborn. And so babies can do unusual things with their breathing. um, And that's what's so tricky because it can often be very like parents don't know, is this normal or not? But um, if a baby is doing prolonged, ongoing, odd things with their breathing and it looks like they're truly in distress, I would say that's something at least to get you know, checked out and to find out, is this normal or is that not normal? Would you agree? Agree. The only other thing I'd throw in there is just uh, color changes, um, particularly when babies cry, you know, et cetera, they'll turn red. So we, we never mind if babies turn a little bit red. We mind when babies turn blue. Uh, and Absolutely. you'll often find in the beginning, uh, you know, hands and feet can be a little bit blue and that's totally normal. But if you're noticing blueness around the lips or blueness of the face, other areas, that's another reason to um, have your baby checked out quickly. Perfect. Thank you both. I kind of wanted to get those in. If we get somebody's attention for just a little bit, make sure that they have kind of those um, those things that do need some quick action. Um, if we kind of go back to just kind of general taking care of your baby, I know one of the things um, that I had questions about when mine were little um, is about bathing. And there's an umbilical cord to think about kind of in the beginning. And how should parents be thinking about bathing a newborn? Are there some rules around waiting until that cord falls off? And then after that, how often does a baby need to be bathed? Yeah, generally um, bathing, we recommend um, waiting until that cord falls off and kind of heals over. And that's just so that water and their, you know, germs and that is not being introduced into the body. Um, what I think is hard being a parent is they're like slippery and small and more like the logistics of how to bathe this newborn, I think is the most challenging thing. So biggest thing I think is just for parents to get comfortable with it. But I would recommend when they're, you truly have like, a, you know, just a couple day old baby, you can kind of 
to use a wet wash rag. Don't feel like you have to submerge them in anything. Just just kind of wipe them down um, until you get more comfortable with this naked, wet, slippery thing um, that you're trying to take care of. I think that usually um, does the trick. And it's hard because babies do, you know, they spit up and there's milk on them and they can start to, you know, kind of smell a little sour and whatnot. You do not need to rush um, to bathe your baby a couple times a week, you know, two, three times a week max for a newborn is totally fine. Um, they don't need to be bathed every day and it's fine, you know, waiting that that first week or two until that cord falls off and heals over. And a lot of, we get a lot of questions about should we be using soap, et cetera. And there's really no need for soap, especially for the really young babies. The main point of the bath is, Mary Carol mentioned, is to really get kind of that dried milk and just kind of that spit up, you know, that's mm -hmm. dried to really get it off. So a little bit of water, you know, is just fine. And then if you do want to use a soap, I just use the most basic of soaps, soaps that don't have a lot of like scents and, you know, lotions added in, et cetera. So just as basic as you can be, the best, the better. Yeah, on those soaps, often the all the marketing out there and, you know, the, mm -hmm. the lavender soaps to help your baby sleep better and the more marketing and colors and scents, probably the worse it is in yes. our opinion. Yes. Um, you know, those are the ones that our kids are more likely to react to probably. The most simple, yep. boring packaging, no yep. colors. Yep. And that's, I remember neck rolls, like the milk would like settle yes. into neck rolls. Um, and you're right, they're slippery as can be. Um, as babies get a little bit older, say they're in that like two, three, four month range, does that couple of times a week for bathing, is, is that still a good kind of um, cadence to be on with bathing too? Yeah. I mean, babies don't really do much. I mean, they just kind of, just kind of sitting there. So it's not like they're working up a sweat. So yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, honestly, a couple of times a week is just fine. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and the main point of it, honestly, is to just kind of get out the dried milk, to get out the spit up, the neck rolls, as you mentioned, just kind of keeping things clean. But I think that um, cadence, especially kind of in like the warmer, or sorry, the colder months, et cetera, mm -hmm. is good, you know, just to kind of do bathing just one to or a couple times a week. So one of the things that, um, we're going to ask next about diaper rash. Um, and I also, um, all of my kids had the eczema on their cheeks that popped up pretty quickly. Um, and then there, I, I remember something around kind of taking a break from bathing a little bit or cutting back on the number of times that would help the eczema. Um, it, are there any conditions like that that would warrant kind of adjusting how often or how frequently a baby needs that kind of wipe down bath. Yeah, you're exactly right. With eczema, we sometimes say, you know, bathe maybe twice a week um, because the more you bathe, it can actually dry out the skin even more. Um, so eczema is a condition um, that we, we might recommend slowing down the bathing just a little bit. Um, and then with children who do have eczema, after they get out of the bath, you're going to pat them dry and right away apply those, um, you know, moisturizers to kind of seal in the um, moisture into their skin. Perfect. So diaper rash. That pesky favorite, right? It's a favorite, man. And they can get bad, too. Yeah. And can be super scary. I mean, all of a sudden, you know, something red pops up in that diaper area. Um, where do you guys typically start with, like, talking to a parent about a baby who has diaper rash and how to take care of it? So we see diaper rash, obviously, a lot. Um, I think the newborn skin, you know, it's just a, it's a thinner skin, so I think we see a lot. 
um, a lot of diaper especially kind of in the newborns and kind of the, those younger infants. And the most important thing for me is just really kind of stress a kind of a really good barrier cream. And that, that, that barrier can make all the difference. And there are lots of different types of barrier creams that you can get. Again, something even as simple as Vaseline, you know, works. Kind of going back to that simple is sometimes a lot better, you know, for, for, for the care that we provide for babies. Um, so I would say kind of changing as frequently as you can. I know it's hard, you know, babies are peeing and pooping all the time, but get the diapers changed as quickly as you can. The longer babies sit in moisture, they're more likely to get a diaper rash or to make it worse. So I would say change as quickly as you can. Use a barrier cream kind of after each diaper change. The other thing that works really well for diaper uh, for diaper rash is to have the diaper off, but that's always kind of a little bit of it's a little bit of a risky, <laughs> risky. move. Yeah, so I mean you never know which way that's going to go, but 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 that does make a bit make a big difference. And if you get to the point where you know you're trying the barrier cream, putting it on kind of religiously, and things are just not getting better, that's a reason to come and see the pediatrician. There are certain diaper rashes like um, that require actual medications, like yeast diaper rashes, things like that. They require a little bit more of um, a little bit more, you know, kind of treatment than just a, than just a thick barrier cream. Mary Carol, anything else to add? Or? Yeah, no. The only thing, Kate, you mentioned, I think they're often scary because it seems like there's nothing there. You just change their diaper, they look fine, and they can jump and become quite severe very quickly. It doesn't mean it's necessarily any worse. So just in general, diapers are, you know, diaper rashes, they can look really bad. They're not an emergency. Try not to panic. Give it a day or two, and if it's not getting better, we're always happy to see it because, as Nick said, we can often, you know, um, try something a little bit different. Um, but there's lots of things you can do at home. I love airing it out. I totally agree. I, I highly recommend that. It's it's challenging to do. The other thing you could also try is avoiding wipes um, and just going to take an old T-shirt, rip it up into rags, use just plain water. Sometimes the wipes itself, those chemicals and, again, fragrances can just continue to irritate it. So another little tip. Is it ever the the diaper itself? Like, can babies have reactions to certain brands of diapers, or are they all pretty much the same? I think in general they're pretty much all the same. Um, certainly there are probably kids out there that do react to certain diapers more than others, but I, I don't know that parents need to spend a ton of money searching for the best brand for their kid. I think the thing that's likely to cause the diaper rash is things love to grow where it's dark and wet, and where is it more dark and wet than inside that diaper? So it's really more the mechanics of having uh, this this wet diaper on, um, you know, than anything else. So certainly, you know, it's worth trying something different. If you have one of those children that is constantly getting a diaper rash, I think that's very reasonable. But most babies get a diaper rash at some point, and it doesn't mean that you didn't do a good job changing their diaper or that you did something wrong. It just is kind of that nature of your child is sitting in a dark, wet thing and, um, you know, that's just going to fester, right? So um, doesn't mean you did anything wrong. Try one maybe different diaper if you're really frustrated with it, but I, I hate for parents to spend lots of money. Sitting in the dark, wet thing with the super sensitive new yep. baby skin, it's just a... It's a setup, right? It's a setup. Yep. It's, it's going to happen. Yep. So what about baby acne? I know that, you know, I, I've certainly seen it before. It seems to affect some babies more so than others. Is it actually acne or what? what is it and how should parents think about it? So we tend to see baby acne really three weeks, I'd say, is kind of the, the average age that we see it for the first time. It can stick around, you know, for, you know, a couple months kind of at the longest. I've had some kids, you know, had it, you know, for several months even longer than that. 
but it is, um, I think there's a lot of like discussion around, you know, what actually causes it. Like I think, you know, when I was training, they were like, oh, it's an overproduction like of oil and others then later they said, no, it's more of like a fungal infection. So I hear lots of different things about it. The main thing I like to tell parents is it's nothing worrisome. Um, you will see it kind of on the face and you can also see it on like the chest and the back as well. Some of what you see kind of in the teenage years, there's really nothing to do for it. Um, the main thing I tell people is it makes your pictures look a little sad, but other than that, it will go away with time. Uh, I personally have never like done any type of treatment or anything for it. It's really just, you just kind of observe it. I agree. And I think it's one that sometimes parents aren't sure. Like, I think this babe is baby acne, is it? And just need a little bit of reassurance. Because I do think it doesn't bother the child at all. It's yeah. more, you know, concerning to the parent who maybe doesn't like the appearance of it. But uh, definitely not dangerous. Definitely don't need to do anything for it. When I had first started in practice, I had a, um, like a one-month-old come in for a one-month-old checkup. And the parents had like clear cell, like all over oh. like this. Oh, oh no. Or yeah. baby. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, but in general, I mean, it, just the main thing you need is time, which I feel like summarizes a lot of pediatrics. <laughs> a lot of Most time. things with kids are phases and yes. uh, go away if we just leave them alone yeah. long enough. Well, and sometimes it's just that confidence to yeah. know that it's okay to watch and wait and give it the time. Um, that parents need is just that reassurance. Yeah, absolutely. And people comment on stuff like that and then parents feel, you know, negligent or should I be worried about it? So I think that, you know, makes parents feel insecure and just want that reassurance too. I think that newborn rashes in general, I think are really hard. I mean, I think you put, your baby to, you put your baby to bed with five rashes and then they wake up with like 40. And then, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's tricky. And the overwhelming majority of them are very benign and just mm -hmm. go away with time. Um, so I think a lot of reassurance for newborn rashes is always pretty helpful. Certainly there are rashes we do worry about, but in general, the majority of them are very benign and just need a little bit of time. So keeping on this theme of kind of our skin-related things, um, what about cradle cap? What What is it? Is there anything concerning um, if parents start to see kind of that flakiness on the baby's head? Yeah, so not, not necessarily. Cradle cap, um, similar to baby acne, is not a dangerous condition. It kind of looks like um, yellow, scaly, flaky um, skin, kind of, yeah, um, mostly on the, the hair and scalp itself. Sometimes it can be on the upper eyebrows and that sort of thing as well. It is not dangerous um, in any way. I think it's one of those things that, again, like it, it affects the appearance of your baby and you see it, right? You see it every time you look at your child. So you're like, what is it? It looks like it's getting worse. But again, it is not, um, not dangerous in any way. What we recommend for that, number one, if it's mild, don't do anything. Like you don't have to treat it. Um, you know, that your your baby is going to be just fine with it. It will eventually go away with time. If it's really thick, there, I mean, if there are some kids who do have it really bad. Um, and if it's really thick or really bothersome to you, um, what I recommend is use a little bit of baby oil, kind of massage it in the scalp. Do that once or twice a day for a couple of days. That typically will loosen up the flakes. And then you can take like a little baby comb or brush and brush those out. You don't want to be picking at the, the poor scalp of the child or anything like that, trying to get them off. Loosen it up with some sort of um, moisturizer or oil first. Anything you would add on that one? No, I, I, the one thing I usually tell people though is that it can come back. Like, yeah, I definitely. Think people think like, "Yay, it's gone," and then like three days later, like, "Boo, it's back." Uh, so I think absolutely. just that, that that they can come back absolutely. And that one can last for a while. It definitely can. Okay. 
So again, watch and wait. Yeah. <laughs> Be patient with it. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes, like Mary Carol had mentioned, sometimes you'll see it kind of on the forehead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll use a little bit of just like a 1% hydrocortisone cream. Uh, that can actually be helpful to take care of that. It gets, when it's in the scalp, when you're trying to put creams in the scalp, it gets super tricky. But uh, sometimes if it's strictly on like the face, like between eyebrows or above the eyebrows, a little bit of 1% hydrocortisone is fine to use there as well. Fantastic. So I'm going to kind of switch our focus a little bit. Um, feeding and feeding schedules. Um, it, I always hesitate to say the word schedule because I kind of feel like babies are running their own yeah. show and we don't get to put them on a schedule. Um, but would love to just talk a little bit about feeding a newborn, feeding those young infants and what are kind of some of the, the tenets of what parents should be thinking about. In general, and you're exactly right. I mean, I think that it is hard. What works for baby A is not going to work for baby B. There are some general kind of quote-unquote rules. In general, babies will feed every two to three hours. And in the beginning, especially before the kids are back to their birth weight, that should really be round the clock. So, you know, you should not have a newborn who, you know, you're putting to bed at 8 p.m. and yay, it's 6 a.m. You know, you want to make sure, you know, every two to three hours that babies are eating. Um, In general, uh, the typical amount a baby will feed is really around. Around, I think feel like the general I see is you know two ounces every two to three hours or so is pretty pretty average. The one thing I will say is I think people get really fixated on you know my baby can only have two ounces, my baby can only have this amount. Some babies do require a little bit more, some take a little bit less. So things I look for are does the baby seem satisfied after he or she feeds? Um, you know, is the baby spitting up a ton after they feed? Maybe they've had too much. Um, does the baby seem after, you know, in the middle of, you know, after you're finished feeding, the baby's still, you know, really looking for more and, you know, seems like a half hour later is crying for more. So those can kind of help adjust, you know, for the amount of volume, the amount of volume that that, that, that you're giving the baby. But in general, I'd say every two to three hours is when you're, is what you're going to feed your newborn. I agree with that. And then the only thing I would add for nursing moms, um, you know, it's hard to figure out volumes, right? And Mm -hmm. so um, in those circumstances, you just want to make sure your baby's, you know, having wet diapers. So in general, a wet diaper every time you feed them for that newborn period means they're getting enough. Sometimes those breastfed babies, as mom's milk is coming in, they're not going to have two ounces of milk, and that's okay. That's normal with breastfeeding. So just kind of reassurance that first week of life for for moms that are um, are breastfeeding. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I agree with that um, cadence. Some babies take to the schedule more readily than others, um, as Nick alluded to. I think that predictability is really good for babies and parents. Um, Um, And so that, you know, many people are striving to get to that schedule, but also no fear if if your baby is just one that doesn't really um, do that. Not all babies can get on kind of that perfect ideal schedule. If you have a baby who is who does seem to be looking for more, um, it's okay to go ahead and give them a little bit more to let. I mean, nursing babies will typically nurse as long as they want to. um, But if you do have a baby who's... um, eating from a bottle instead of at the breast. Um, I've heard people who are like, well, this is what I'm supposed to be feeding them. Is it okay to give them more? If they're still hungry, it is okay to try another ounce and see how much of it they they take. Yes? Yeah, in general, I would say yes. But uh, one caveat to that, 
babies suck. Sucking is a natural reflex for babies. Mm. So if you put something in their mouth, they are going to suck on it. So you, if you fed your baby and typically that two ounces satisfies them and they're still, you know, kind of rooting or sucking, you certainly could try a pacifier and see if that suffices, right? If they calm down with that pacifier, they just wanted to suck right then. But if they're spitting out that pacifier, you know, looking around, no, that pacifier is not doing the trick. Yeah, they might be more hungry. So it's a little bit of trial and error with that because we have to also be careful that we're not overfeeding babies, putting that bottle in their mouth. They're going to they're gonna keep eating. I mean, if you keep putting chocolate chip cookies in front of me, I'm going to keep eating them too. <laughs> and babies are, you know, a bit the same way with that. So um, definitely I would try different things. But yeah, as babies grow, they're going to start taking more. And how do they let you know they, they're not satisfied? So absolutely, it's never wrong to try one more ounce. To Nick's point, if they're really over full, they're going to spit up more. Um, so you kind of get a little bit of um, more information that way. And again, try the pacifier. If they're satisfied with that, you also have your answer. So definitely trial and error. I think that that's... Mary Carol has such a key point about in general life with newborns is a lot of trial and error. Yep. <laughs> like I think people are really nervous because certainly you want to do the right thing for your baby. But I think people are very nervous to trial things. And, you know, sometimes it is just every kid's a little bit different. And sometimes, you know, it works, you know, for one baby doesn't work for the other. So I think it's important to just give parents a little bit of freedom. You know, common sense will prevent you from doing anything to hurt your kid. But, you know, I think just a little bit of, like, trial and error with feeding, et cetera, can, can, can be really helpful. Nick, you had said something about when baby is back to birth weight. Mm-hmm. And um, can we talk a little bit about that period where babies lose weight and what it is, why they lose the weight, and, like, when that can be concerning if they're not getting back to birth weight? So we expect the majority of babies will lose um, will lose a good percentage of their birth weight. So I expect for babies to lose anywhere between seven to ten percent uh, from their birth weight, and the goal is really by ten, maybe up to fourteen days, that babies should be back to, back to their birth weight. And I think a lot of it is just kind of there are kind of some extra fluids, kind of when babies are born, et cetera. The babies lose all of that, and then truly, I mean, feeding can be a little bit of a challenge in the beginning. You know, when you're in utero, you're getting all of your nutrients from your mom, and suddenly, you know, you're having to work for it, expend energy on your own, to, you know, to to get those calories. Um, so we see uh, this is very routine. We see this a lot, um, all the time. Almost every baby, you know, takes a while to get back to birth weight. We watch the kids pretty closely, um, so that's why oftentimes, if you'll see your pediatrician in the first, you know, few days of life, oftentimes we'll have you come back, you know, maybe a week later, or even a few days later, if we're worried to make sure that your baby's getting back to birth weight. Again, we like to have babies back to birth weight by about 10 to 14 days. 10% is as low as we like to go below birth weight. Once we start to get below that, we get a little bit nervous and watch the baby a little bit uh, a little bit closer. But the most important thing is really just in that time frame, making sure that the baby is being fed. You know, again, going back to that every two to three hours, just making sure that the baby's getting enough um, calories. You know, for those who are formula feeding their baby, making sure that they're mixing the formula correctly, et cetera. But very common. I think people are surprised. They don't know the babies actually lose weight in the beginning, but I'd say probably 90 percent, 90 plus percent will do that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But so super common and it just requires kind of we that's what we watch for at that newborn visit and follow visits as well. So if we go to the other end, this food coming out, <laughs> we had a bunch of questions around baby poop 
And That's how we spend most of our day. Yeah. <laughs> it's everything parents can see. You see what goes in and you see what comes out. So those are the things parents want to know about. I totally get it. So let's start with a breastfed baby. What is, um, what is poop supposed to look like if a baby is exclusively breastfed? So all babies initially will have um, poop that we call meconium. It's that black, thick, tarry poop. Um, those are the first stools that a baby has and usually will last, you know, a, a day or two or three um, as they, they get that out. Um, once that is out, then we're kind of looking for a transitional poop where it becomes um, kind of the more yellow, um, softer. It's not as sticky. It's much easier to clean the diaper. Um, and then it becomes that yellow seedy stool um, that is most, um, I, you know, like if you Google a picture of newborn poop, it looks like kind of yellow mustard with little seeds in it. Um, that is a good, normal newborn poop. Um, I think parents will often be like, ah, my baby has diarrhea. Like, that doesn't look normal um, because I don't know why we assume babies would have solid poop, but they don't. It is it is a liquidy um, sort of stool, and that is totally normal. Um, there's not a lot about poop, I think, that is terribly concerning to us unless, um, you know, we want babies to have a stool within the first day of life. So we're looking for that. Um, we're looking for that transition off. But poop can be a variety of colors. There's not like, again, I'm telling you kind of the standard, you know, yellow mustardy sort of thing. But but it could be a light brown. It could be, you know, a few different colors. Um, and then some babies will poop every single time you feed them. That's also normal. Um, again, we don't do that as adults. So it, it is concerning to some parents who don't know that it's totally normal for a baby to poop eight, ten times a day as a newborn. And there are other babies who will po poop less frequently. That can also be normal too. Just know that when they do stool, you're going to get a bigger, bigger you know, poop because it's been accumulating a while longer. Um, I think when they don't poop for a while, parents may often say, oh, my baby's constipated because it's been two or three days. Again, it doesn't mean they're constipated as long as that poop is coming out soft and mushy. Um, that is totally fine. What we don't want is a hard ball for a baby. That would never be normal. What about a formula-fed baby? I, does that look different, um, kind of the typical, than um, breast milk babies? So the... The stool should always be, whether you're formula-fed or breastfed, the stool should always kind of be kind of that, that liquidy stool. You mm -hmm. shouldn't have, you know, solid stools, whether you're on formula or, um, or breast milk. Sometimes, the, oftentimes, the frequency with a formula-fed baby is a little bit less. Uh, so a breastfed baby, as Mary Carol mentioned, will oftentimes poop eight times a day yeah. or so, whereas a formula-fed baby is, is less. I mean, sometimes they'll poop once a day, sometimes every other day or so. And then just to add to Mary Carol's point about the color, it can be any color. Um, <laughs> and I think the only colors we really worry about are if the poop is um, black, bright red, or um, white. Uh, white. Other than that, I mean, poop can be any color. Especially, we get tons of calls, you know, especially as babies get older and start on solid foods, yep. that it is, you know, my it's baby pooped a it's rainbow. Orange. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And the only other thing that I will throw in, you know, to Mary Carol's point, people will often say my baby's constipated. They work really hard to poop. Um, as long as what comes out is soft. And I will often tell parents, imagine if someone told you, go lay flat in your bed and try and poop. It'd be really hard, you know, to, to push it out. And babies are working very hard. Their belly muscles aren't quite as strong as ours are, you know, to begin with. So I think, you know, pooping 
is quite an exercise for a baby. So as long as what comes out is soft, um, we're in good shape. Yeah, and just to piggyback on that, it, it is a new skill for babies any more than we were talking about. They didn't have to eat when you know they were in utero. They didn't really poop when they, they didn't poop when they were in utero either. And so they have to learn to coordinate, like pushing with those belly muscles, relaxing with the sphincter on the, the rear side. And that's often when they get you know super red in the face and they're crying and parents are worried they're in a lot of pain. It's really not pain, it's more probably just coordination of they're frustrated and, and trying to work on that. So that's when you know we recommend massage the tummy, bicycle the legs, um, you know all that good stuff, um, trying to help them through that. It's another phase. Kids do outgrow that struggle pooping phase. Um, you know, and it, it takes a little while, but again, think of it. I always tell parents like they're learning a new skill. You're, you're helping them learn how to poop, um, which sounds also <laughs> exciting, but it's kind of true. But with a newborn, I feel like that's kind of yep. the parent's role is, you know, you're focusing on this little human, helping them learn how to be a human. Yeah. Um, the white poop caught my attention. That one always caught my attention when my kids were little. Um, and I finally looked it up, but will you tell like the concerning colors, why are they concerning? So the white poop in general um, is concerning for a, a liver condition called biliary atresia. Um, and it's really like a white clay poop. This is one thing that pediatricians, we really do love pictures. So if you're ever like, I don't know, is that white? Is that white enough? Take a picture of it. It's, it, it can be helpful. Um, and, um, you know, so that's what I would say um, on that one. Red that you mentioned. So there can be some babies who have allergies to various milks and uh, milk proteins and whatnot. So red or blood, um, you know, in the poop is concerning to us because we're like, eh, they're, you know, something's not right there. Mm -hmm. Um, and then black, you mentioned. So black meconium is very normal at the beginning. Black later on in an older child can be the sign of um, like blood for, from higher up in the digestive tract. Um, so I think that's what you're saying with black. Uh, again, that's just not super common. So those are kind of the things that we are um, thinking of with those specific colors. Anything you would add on that? Nope. One of my kids had a milk protein allergy and um, we noticed it because it presented as like red flecks yeah. in the poop um, yep. that caught my attention pretty quickly. I think that that's kind of the good news about so much of this is that when they are pooping eight to ten times a day, if something changes or looks different, it's something, you know, like I, I noticed right away. I'm like, whoa, what is this? Um, and then ask the question. Um so at least they are giving us lots of samples to That's compare exactly right. something a little bit <laughs> yeah. different. And I think you raise a key point of you know asking the question. Like I think that is one thing that pediatricians we expect and we really like is just to have a lot of questions. Like for whether it's your first baby or your fifth baby, every baby's different. And you know you I don't think an adult would call their own doctor and be like my poop is yellow. You know, um, but I think like as pediatricians we expect that. Like I think that's one of the reasons that we all chose pediatrics because we like to work with families and provide reassurance, et cetera. So, you know I always encourage people if you have questions as silly as you think it may be, please call us. Like that's that's what all of us are there for. I'm gonna switch now to sleep. So we talked about it a little bit that babies shouldn't be sleeping as newborns through a whole night. Um, they need to be getting up and eating. Um, as they start to get a little bit older, as they start to settle into a routine, what should sleep look like for an infant? I would say right from the start. Um, so most newborns do sleep the vast majority of the day. So, you know, 
21 to 23 hours, honestly, is is normal for a newborn. So that's okay. But they're, the times they're awake, they're waking up to eat. So they do get that intermittent, you know, feeding two to three hours, like Nick mentioned. Um, so it is great. Sleep is so important <laughs> for newborns, young children, adolescents, adults. All of us need good sleep. So I think this is one of the most important things we can do as parents is, is set our kids up for success, making helping them become good sleepers. Um, so often ba- babies will have long periods of sleep followed by eating and then maybe a brief arousal period after that. And they kind of go through that cycle, you know, every three hours around the clock. Um, as they get older, so kind of parents are often like, when will they start going longer overnight? Nick mentioned we definitely want them to get back to their birth weight. Um, and typically around somewhere in the range of two to four months is when babies will start, you know, going longer stretches overnight um, between feeds. As long as they are growing fine, that is good. We want babies to sleep. Everybody has heard, don't wake a sleeping baby. We, you know, agree with that as long as the baby is growing well and and whatnot. So between two and four months, you often start getting that longer stretch. Ideally, you want that longer stretch to be at night, not during the daytime. If they're getting that longer stretch during the daytime, they've got that day-night wake cycle kind of reversed. So, you know, that baby may start four, five, six hours overnight, and that's totally fine at that period. Um, and I encourage parents to let them let the baby sleep. Sometimes parents are afraid of doing that, and they're like waking their kid up to feed them. I'm like, no, let them sleep. That is good for them. We want them to get that deeper sleep. And we all wake up in the middle of the night. So babies will wake up, and we want them to learn to fall back to sleep on their own. We don't want them to be reliant on that bottle in order to fall back asleep. So again, it, you're teaching them how to go back to sleep on their own. Um, so it's okay, again, to pop in the pacifier, to pat them, um, that sort of thing, to try and help them go back to sleep at that point. One other thing I'll throw in is um, I feel like any discussion with sleep, just to throw in about kind of safe sleep in general. So we talk a lot about the ABCs, you know, babies should be alone on their back and in their crib. I think sometimes it's really, you know, everyone likes to snuggle a baby, but it can just make sure, you know, in the middle of the night, et cetera, you're always putting your baby back in his or her crib or bassinet uh, so they're sleeping alone and on their back as well. One more thing I would say on that, not the, I totally agree on the safe sleep um, side of things, but I think a lot of newborns have that day-night thing mixed up. I always tell parents to be brief and boring in the middle of the night. So you you often get this baby and this is like the only time they've interacted with you now all day. And so we turn on the lights and we change their diaper and we're, you know, try and keep your tone down, keep the lights down low. You're trying to teach them this is nighttime. This is when things should be calm and quiet. And so just think of those environmental things. I know that doesn't like change everything, but um, as babies get older, I think that's even more important. So brief and boring at night when your baby is awake will help them so that they're not like, ooh, playtime, it's three three in the morning. No parent likes that. So let's talk about the time that they are awake. Some people call them wake windows um, or just the, I mean, if a baby's sleeping 21 to 23 hours a day, that isn't a whole lot of time. Uh, What should parents be trying to focus on when their baby is awake? I think it's interesting. You talk about, we get um, a lot of questions in the beginning of my baby, I think my baby sleeps too much. And then a few weeks later, we get the calls of, my baby never, never sleeps. All the crying, the crying, fussy period yeah. starts. So I would say, I mean, there's, you know, there are obviously some basics you need to take care of during those times, you know, diaper changes and feeding, et cetera. 
Um, you know, we always recommend even, uh, you know, babies that are, you know, just a few weeks old. Tummy time is really nice as well, you know, to get in during that time. Um, you know, just kind of lots of cuddling. Uh, even at this age, we recommend reading, you know, with, with newborns as well. You know, the more words babies hear, the better. So there isn't like an exact like kind of, oh, you need to go and do, you know, A, B, C, D, E to make sure that your baby's going to be brilliant by the time that he or she, you know, is four. It's really just time to kind of, you know, snuggle, take care of kind of the, the routine stuff that you need to do. And, you know, to Mary Carol's point about, um, you know, just babies with their days and nights mixed up, mixed up, it's great to, I mean, during the day, you know, daytime is playtime. So, you know, at night or in during the day when babies are awake, you know, whatever the house noises are, the house noises are, you know, just kind of get the baby used to the general flow and the sounds of the house in general. And then, you know, at nighttime, you know, the brief but boring. I like that. I hadn't heard that before. That, that's very good. Yeah. But I mean, there's no kind of exact regimen. There's always kind of work to do, you know, just with kind of general upkeep of babies. I don't know if you have anything else to add. Or... No, I would just reemphasize the language development. Talk, read to your babies, sing to your babies. That's, you know, the best thing. They learn from people in their face, not from television or from, you know, those more distant things. Uh, screen time, we don't recommend um, as much or really at all. <laughs> No, that one's really interesting because I, start, I I have three kids and the um the house sounds were quite different from the first one to the third. Sure. Um but he um my youngest became really resilient to noises really quickly. I mean, he had two big siblings running around. That kid can still sleep anywhere um because he's able to just kind of tone it out. So I do think that that one, um, you know, especially when you have a newborn who is sleeping so much, like you kind of want things to be quiet. But I think that reminder that house sounds are good. Do what you're going to do. Do the dishes. Um, just get the baby used to the fact that quiet isn't the way the world works. Yeah, absolutely. And bringing a newborn home is such a change for families, right? Like it, it kind of rocks your world as a family, but really they have to integrate into what you do. Like to your point, the wash doesn't stop. It actually increases exponentially, right? Mm -hmm. People still need to eat. And so they're coming into the, they're coming into your space um, if you think of it that way. So getting them used to, you know, the world doesn't stop and totally revolve around them, you know, is good. Our parents are busy. Um, they've got to multitask. And, you know, even if the baby's crying, I always tell parents it's okay if the baby fusses for a few minutes. They fuss because that's their only way of communicating. It's the only thing they can communicate with. If they're bored, if they're, you know, angry, they want to get picked up, they're hungry. It doesn't matter. They, it's crying for all of that. And so, um, you know, I, I, it's okay. You need to finish what you need to do. If a parent needs to shower, go shower, and the baby will be fine for a few minutes, um, even if it's fussing. So I think parents need that permission to take care of themselves um, at that challenging time, too. Are there any kind of telltale signs that, like, babies finished being awake, like that they're trying to tell you they're tired, but because I feel like they get to a point when they're a little bit older where they kind of start to fight it, certain babies mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. um, are there anything, you know, anything there that um, parents should be looking for? I think often babies get fussy, um, quite honestly. Like, again, they can't communicate, like, I'm past my prime, mom or dad. Like, I'm ready for bed now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I get cranky when I'm tired, too. And I think babies are a little bit, you know, the same way. So I think that's probably the, the most common um, 
you know, sign. I do think that's where a schedule can be really helpful because it helps the parent and it helps the kid. Like it's just predictable. You know that that bedtime is coming um, as opposed to it's it's harder and not all families you know, can function on a perfect schedule when parents are working multi, you know, different shifts mm-hmm. and multiple, you know, jobs and whatnot. But I do think that can help the predictability around bedtime so that you don't have to wait for that kid to get, you know, it, it can be really hard when they're overtired. Then mm-hmm. sometimes it's harder to put them to sleep than if we had caught them early and put them down when they were just starting. So um, I, I am a big fan of schedules specifically around bedtime. As we knew you would, you've expertly answered all of my questions. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom for parents who are bringing a new baby home sometime soon? I think one of the things that was the hardest for us when we had our oldest was, I think we kind of had unrealistic expectations. I think that we thought it was going to be like wonderful when we came home. And I can remember my parents saying, it's going to be hard, like we're here to help. And I can remember saying to my mom, I do this all day long. I take care of babies. It's what I do. (laughs) We'll be fine. And we were home, I mean, for like 10 minutes and we were like, this is really hard. And so I think that I would tell parents like, it is a, it is a hard time. It's a wonderful time, but it can be a challenging time and it's okay to ask for help. It is okay to acknowledge like that things, you know, always aren't like the best. Um, I think it is, uh, it's okay to Mary Carol, as Mary Carol mentioned, that when babies are screaming and fussing, it's okay. If you need a break, it's okay to put your baby in the crib and just walk away for a few minutes. If they're in their crib, they're safe and they're fine. Um, that just kind of make sure that you're taking care of yourself, that you really are kind of relying on your family and friends, et cetera, you know, for help because it, it's a hard time. It's a wonderful time. But again, like to just, I think I had very unrealistic expectations. Like I expected that, you know, I was going to be posing for like photo shoots with my newborn all day. And it was, it was, <laughs> it, it was not, I think we have like one photo and the whole house looks like it's being electrocuted. Um, so, you know, I think just to tell people like it's, it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to ask for help. And that eventually, you know, it was, you get into that scheduling routine, things do get a lot better, but can be a little bit of a hairy time at the beginning. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, And I think I would just say um, there are so many questions that come up. It's normal. It's okay. That's what your your pediatrician or your doctor is there for. They don't mind. There is no such thing as a a silly questions. And even us pediatricians, I asked Nick something about one of my kids a couple weeks ago of like, I don't know, do you think this is normal? Um, So it's okay. We all have those questions and need that reassurance. Um, And as long as um, you are willing to ask the question, you're not going to get into trouble. I think if you're afraid to ask or reach out for help, um, you know, that's when I think we can get into a little bit more trouble. So we never mind um, when people have those questions. And then piggybacking on um, Nick, lots of grace um, for new parents. It is um, absolutely okay to ask for help. And there's no one right way to do things with babies. So that trial and error. Um, give yourself grace. If it, yesterday was a bad day and it didn't work out, try something a little bit different today and see if it goes better. I think that's a really key point of, again, go back to the whole trial and error thing. Mm-hmm. Things work differently for different people. And even, you know, among all of us, we'll talk about things and, oh, I never thought of that. I wish I had tried that. I tried this and that works. So I think there's a lot of different things that people can try and, you know, works for one baby may not work for the other. So, I mean, there are lots of different ways to to kind of problem solve with the newborn at home. And I don't typically add advice here, but one thing that I found um, when mine were little is that 
you're so right. What works for one family isn't necessarily yeah. going to work for another. And there was one person who um, had said, well, the book tells me I need to do this. And I think that we're just sponges looking for all of the information. And if somebody is an expert and says I should do it this way, well, I need to do it this way. Um, and I think some permission to do it your own way yep. is a really um, – it, it worked well for me. Um and helped me relax a little bit in that super stressful time. It was like, I'm not trying to do something the way somebody else did it because that just feels super awkward to me. Um, this feels better. And if it's working and the baby's safe, it's okay to do the trial and error and figure out what works for you. Yeah, no, I agree. Absolutely. Thank you both. This has been a great conversation, um, one that I hope – we can reach some of those expectant families and some some new families who are just bringing babies home. Um, and I will just close with a great big thank you to both of you. I appreciate your time. Thanks thank for having us. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Young and Healthy. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. This episode was recorded on April 26, 2023. The Young and Healthy podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. This episode was produced by Symphony Fair Harris, and our theme music was created by Stephen Greco. Thanks for listening. Follow Cincinnati Children's on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.